the truth here. So, Father, I just thank you. I thank you so much for Bill and his ministry and his hand in my life and all the changes that have come out of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My fears almost kept me from doing a lot of things God wanted me to do. I can't spell. So I was asked to go speak at a Bible college, or asked actually to come on staff. I started a Bible college with some other guys in Seattle, and see it was small and it wasn't so bad, but I was asked to go to an established Bible school to be a professor where we used overheads and I can't spell. I know I can't spell. And the fear that came over me, these kids are gonna know that I'm dumb. Well, they're gonna find out after I'm there, well, I am anyway. But I mean, going, a professor that can't spell? You know, that's unheard of. <laughs> it can't be. And yet I knew I had to go. But I almost didn't go because of the fear, and yet God was calling me to go. I had to what? Face the fear that I don't spell well. And you know what, the kids loved me enough they would laugh when I would misspell a word. You know, the eyes on the wrong part and all that kind of stuff. And you know, it's, what I thought wasn't, um, I mean, it's so amazing. I can't write well. And Moody calls me on the telephone three times to ask to write a book for them and I told them, no, no, no. I didn't know that was not normal. You, you write a book and get a publisher to publish it. Publishers don't call you on the phone, who I don't even know, and tell me I should write a book. I said, how can I write a book? I'm not a writer. And I thought, three times it must be God. And I was fearful. You, you write a book, you know, everybody's going to know. You're strange and all that other stuff. We wrote the book, and today it's a bestseller, one of the bestsellers of Moody Press. I'm not a writer. I got a call from Dallas from a prayer retreat. And they asked me to come down and lead and speak to an international prayer retreat. Well, I pray at that time, but I was not a man of prayer, and they had the wrong guy. One of them was the president, the ex-president of Dallas Seminary. A very godly man was part of that board, and I turned them down three times again. Well, get this guy. He's really a prayer person. Get this person. Really a prayer person. And they, they wanted me. I said, are you sure? Because I would not pick me. I said, how long do I have to prepare for this thing? They said, you get a year and a half. So I went home and told my wife, says, you won't believe this, but I'm going to speak at an international prayer conference in Dallas, Texas in a year and a half. And my wife looked at me and she said, they must be hard up for speakers. <laughs> my wife's the prayer person. And she's a very godly woman, a real prayer person. But guess what it did? It forced me to look at why don't I pray like I know I should pray. It forced me. I mean, wouldn't you be kind of fearful as kind of a now I lay me down to sleep guy to go to speak to people from all over the world on prayer? Well, I got to tell you this. Well, this is way off from what I'm doing. Um, but I had to figure out why don't I pray, right? I know about prayer. I've worked with two godly men. Mark Bubeck is one of the most godly men of prayer I've ever known in my life. He would go 
his church on Saturday and walk to the church and pray for every single individual in that church. And he would maybe pray eight or nine hours and didn't know it. Man, I'm going to pray a long time. I look at my watch, six seconds. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, I, I really grabbed all the God. You know what I mean? It's just, I, I get lost in prayer. I can't believe it. I mean, I, I never thought that could happen. That, not me. I, I'm, a, I'm a goer and I'm a doer, and you guys pray for me. See, I'll do it. You pray. I'll get out there. I'll do it. But God says, uh uh, Logan, you better start getting the prayer life. And so I began to look, and I found out. Probably the best place to start is the most important prayer in the Bible. The inspired prayer. The prayer that Jesus said we're to pray. He said, pray like what? This. And it's our Father, which art in heaven. Now, Bill Gothard, when I went, this guy walked all over me. I wasn't happy I went. He knows I was upset. He was charging money to hear him preach the gospel. Nobody ever charged money to do that. And I was offended, and I wasn't going to go up to Seattle to hear a guy who had no idea who this character was that stood on a table and wrote on a blackboard. You know, that, that was the thing. But someone promised me he'd give me my money back if I didn't like it. So I thought, well, maybe I could go. If I don't like it, I, this guy will give me my money back that I paid to hear a guy preach. Unheard of. You know, you take offerings. I wonder why you didn't know about offerings. Well, anyway, I went, and he got all over me the first night, self-image. I felt, you know, tall, I'm ugly, you know. I just felt ugly and, you know, all this stuff. And I'm dumb and I'm stupid. You know, all those lies, because my dad told me that for years. So, you know, all, all this stuff I couldn't believe. And then he got on bitterness. Oh, as a pastor. I don't hate my father anymore since I got saved. I just don't like them. <laughs> you know, and I had to deal with getting the bitterness towards my dad out of my life. Well, this all goes to prayer. Because I thought, I, I might as well start with the Lord's Prayer. You know, I've gone through three Bibles. In fact, I was telling Paul, my right-hand man, I have in my home 74 Bibles that belong to me, and 72 of them have been read. And when I go through a Bible and mark it, I don't read it again. But I went through three Bibles, because I want to know about prayer, and I marked every time I use a green, you know, I have this thing, you know, it has different colors. And I use green to mark every time someone talked to God, and every time God talked back. And if there was a prayer promise, I put it all in green. I thought, if I want to understand prayer, maybe I ought to go to the book, the book you know, maybe I, this would be good. But I want you to know, I've also read other books. I have over 1,400 books that I've read in my library on prayer in the deeper life. So I don't want you to think I haven't really looked at the subject. But I had to start with why don't I pray? You know, why as a pastor and been around Bill Gothard and all these other who's who and the zoo people, and why is it I don't pray? And so I was thinking about that. I said, Lord, you got to tell me, why don't I pray? Well, I pray, you know, God, I need gas, or we need some money, or Lord, no one's giving to the ministry right now, and we're going to, you know what I mean, that kind of stuff, but not really prayer. You know, my idea of prayer was giving God the to-do list. Okay, God, this is what you're supposed to do for me, and thank you, and go on. I learned prayer was much more than that. Anyway, 
all of a sudden it dawned to me, when I said, our father, I did not have bad feelings. If I had bad feelings, what would that indicate? I still hadn't fully forgiven my dad, right? When the, if the word father brings up some bad feelings, then I haven't forgiven my dad. Okay. But when I said, our father, guess what feelings I had? None. I could say our chair, our couch, our drapes. There was no feelings. Now, I've been raised very, very conservative, and I see these charismatics getting all fuzzy about God, and I'm going, I don't know if I can be that fuzzy God, but I think I'd have a little more fuzz than what I've got. You know what I mean? Just, <laughs> isn't there good, should be some feeling with the name of God, some warm feelings or whatever. And so I asked God to help me. And it's been a long journey, and it's been wonderful. Um, but I have to get back to where I was going to start. Bill Gothard talked about biographies. I can't believe he did that. He never told me. So I went to the bookstore and got some that you ought to be reading. I brought them here to say, you guys ought to read these things. Okay. And Bill got me reading biographies. You know, they that walk with wise men. Who's, what wise men do I know? Well, a lot of the wise men I knew were professors that were in a Christian college and more secular in their lifestyle. I think they were, that was too wise. So we began to read biographies, and a biography that every one of you needs to read, every one of you. If you don't read this, you flunk as a Christian, as far as I'm concerned. And that's Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secrets. Every single Christian ought to have read that book. If you come to IMI, you have to read it, or we don't graduate you. You stay there forever. We have one student there. You should see him. He's got all long white hair. Came as a young kid, white hair. <laughs> Still hasn't read the book yet. You're not graduating. Uh, <clears throat> These, these I pick because of what they have, but that book, that book caused me to start a ministry where we have ministered to thousands of people all over the world and charged not one penny. And that put pressure on them to give. Where if this is God's ministry, and God will provide. And we're trusting him to provide, and he has for all these years. Okay, now for the girls... There's two good books, and Isabel Kuhn is what I wanted my daughters to read. Now, there's only two books in her life. This one is by Searching. It's really great. It's how she went to a Bible camp and got a vision for the rest of her life to work with the Lisu people up in the mountains of China. This is the beginning one where she struggled and all this stuff. In the arena of Isabel Kuhn is the story of her whole life. And here is a gal that made a real difference in China. Unbelievable. Woman of faith. Failed. She wasn't perfect, but really neat lady. All girls should know who Isabel Kuhn is. Um, oh, I was going to share one other thing with the guys. Once you start getting your life right, God's going to give you strange opportunities. I'm in... Kansas City, I'm teaching at a Bible college there, and a guy walks up to me, and he says, hi, do you know who I am? I said, no. He gave me his name. He said, no, I know who I am. I said, no. He said, well, I play baseball for the Royals. Oh. I said, that's good. That's really nice. You know, make a life playing baseball. Um, and he said, I want you to mentor me. Or I want you to disciple me. And I said, well, I'm sorry. You know, I really don't like baseball. And I've never been to a Royals game, ever. 
He said, good. <laughs> and I was able to mentor him through some of the most terrible times, wonderful Christian man, mentor him through some of the most difficult times in his life. Here I am, non-sportsy, don't go to baseball, but God has me mentoring a guy in baseball who played in the series and all this other stuff, got a series ring and all this other stuff. I'll, I'll tell you guys, you cannot believe the doors that God will open for you if you will start dealing with the issues that God wants you to deal with. One at my first was self-image. That was so big. And then bitterness followed that and all these different areas. Another book for the guys is Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott died when I was in Bible school. You're probably not aware of this, but this was back a long time ago. This is in the 50s. When Jim Elliott died, hundreds of Bible college students across America volunteered to become lifetime missionaries. And those people are now retiring from the mission field because of his death. All the wonderful things he did when he was alive the world has been reached through his death by others saying, I will go, I will take his place. Okay, that, that's three. They're over in the bookstore over there. I want to give you a biography story. It's, we have, did I tell you how many biographies we have in our house? We have over a thousand. When we got rid of the TV, we bought biographies for our kids to read. I mean, you got to do something with TV, you know, and before I thought it was really good that Bert and Ernie were training my kids, and what was it, a something else, a garbage can guy, I don't know, you know, all of that. And I thought it was great, they're learning all these things, one of these things is not like the other, one of these things just doesn't belong. I thought that's clever. Um, and then I sat there and I thought, we're trying to raise godly kids, this isn't so good. You know, they make fun of a guy's nose and, you know, all this other stuff. <clears throat> so anyway, we thought we better get rid of this. So we got rid of the TV, but what are you going to do in its place? Our kids went to public school because see, they weren't bad enough to be homeschooled. They were not thrown out of anything, so we didn't have to homeschool. Because remember in those days, homeschool kids were the ones that were thrown out of public school, thrown out of private school, and the government said they have to be educated, and so they had one homeschool program, and so kids that were homeschooled is like, you don't look that bad. <laughs> you, you don't get the looks now, but let me tell you, in Gothard Star with homeschooling, a lot of people looked. These kids look okay. You know, they don't look weird. <laughs> they look like they have all their marbles, but maybe they don't know how to play the game. You know, there's something not right here. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> So we have this collection. I don't know. I know I stopped when we had a thousand, but we bought more. Our, our bookshelves with the biographies are double, double booked to fit there. Well, you know, 1400, over 1,400 books on prayer and the deeper life, almost 1,000 books on warfare, over 1,000 books. You know, I've got books stacked on top of the bookcases to the ceiling. It looks awful. I mean, if we ever had an earthquake, I'll be dead, you know. <laughs> I knew it. I was killed by biographies. It's all Bill's fault. <laughs> well, let me tell you, biographies can be a lot of fun. I, I wish I could tell you the name of this biography. I can't. But it's about the screwball 
And I dreamt about him. I mean, last night God was, woke me up and told me about this guy. And I didn't know Bill was going to do the, this. And he said, after you show these books, tell the life of this guy as much as I can. Okay, this guy is from Australia. This guy is an absolute nutcase for God. I mean, just, you'd love him to death. But he's not typical. You know, he's not in the mold. He was willing to be who he is. So they're in Erinjaya, you know, where the cannibals and things all in those, and, you know, and um, pig grease over them. They said it's really interesting when you're in an um, auditorium like this with these guys with pig grease, and it's hot. So it smells like someone's cooking bacon. <laughs> anyway, so they're out. They're going out in Erinjaya looking for tribes of cannibals that no one's gone to. And that's what they were doing. So they're walking along, looking, and all of a sudden they come to an entourage of men that are greeting them with clubs. And they know this is the end. And so he got very, very creative as he came to the very end here of we got to do something. He cried out to God, and God told him what to do. So what he did, he went, and pulled out his false teeth. <laughs> Stuck him back in. They still had the clubs. They looked at him, and he went. They dropped their clubs, and guess what they did? <laughs> and they forgot about killing these guys, and they went on. <laughs> I mean, they were so overwhelmed with the, how wonderful these guys were taking their teeth out, or the one guy was. <clears throat> well, I'll give you another one. This is even better. Yeah, I've worked with uh, 42 different mission agencies, and I've been all over the world, and it's been thrilling. For a guy who didn't have much money, I've been in a lot of places where people paid for me to go. <laughs> that was so neat. Well, anyway, um, this guy, um, when you get into these tribal areas, it may take 30 days by canoe to get there. And JARS, Jungle Aviation Radio Services of Wycliffe, they have developed an airplane that can land in a very short space. And so, because the helicopters are too expensive and missions tried them and they got rid of them. They couldn't afford a helicopter. You know, it breaks down and dust gets and dirt gets in and all that stuff. So you have to make an airstrip. Well, these places are not, they're full of boulders and huge trees. They gotta clear the jungle. So you clear the jungle, then you have the boulders, and how you get rid of a huge boulder that half of it is underneath the ground, this whole thing, it's real simple. You take wood, you build a fire around it, get it hot, pour water on it, and it cracks. Then you take off the cracks and you heat it again, and pretty soon it disappears. Well, this, Australian guy is trying to clear a runway so they can get food in and mail and all this other stuff. And as long as he stayed with these cannibals, they give him fish hooks and other things, paid him with stuff that was important. As long as he stayed there, they would work. But as soon as he went up to the house, they would stop and wait for him. Well, this airship's never going to, I mean, there's a lot of other things that have to do besides stand there. 
So what he did was unique. There was a stump at the top of this. Did you read the book? You were laughing. I thought maybe you'd read the book. There was a stump at the top of where they're making this air thing. So he took out his glass eye, stuck it on the stump, and pointed it towards the workers. He'd go in the house, and they kept working like crazy because he was still watching them. <laughs> Well, I tell you, biographies are, are neat. I mean, he's a godly man, but it's so neat to see the creativeness and, and these people who really touch people for God. And they were unique people. That's what's so neat. They weren't all the same. They were, they were different people that were willing to be different. It was really, really good. And one more I need to start with, because definitely this came from God. As I said, when God was speaking all this stuff to me last night, and I'm trying to think through all of this in the dark, and um, I said, God, you're just bringing all these experiences of my life up, and I haven't thought about these for years. I haven't talked about these things for years. You know, are you really sure you want me to share these things with these kids? I'm sorry I'm calling you kids, but, you know, I've got great-grandkids almost as old as you are. So, not quite. The oldest one is uh, three and a half. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so if I say kids, I call the guys that I am my kids too. My wife said, they're men. I said, ah, they're boys. Give me a break. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's not a put down. It just falls out. But I, I need to share this one. See, Bill talks about fears. And I didn't know he was talking about fears. I didn't read the thing. And God began to talk to me about my fears and where he came in. I mean, it was so amazing when I heard Bill talk. I couldn't believe. I mean, I was going like, oh, God, you knew he was going to say. Well, I uh, have been on reservations all across the United States, speaking to various Indian nations, American, you know, the true Americans. And there's been demonic situations at every one of those places, and even with the Crete and Ojibwe up in Canada. Now, wherever you speak on a reserve, there is demonic activity, and it is strong. The people live in fear of spirits. So I was speaking at this time to the Sioux Indians, Lakota Indians, and do you remember uh, in your history, you probably remember, um, what was that guy? Colonel, ah, I know his name is anything. What, what was the, what's the big colonel in the army that went to fight the Sioux Indians in South Dakota? General Custer. And General Custer saw a few Indians, and he said, I think they're Sioux. <laughs> That's the last thing he said. <laughs> they wiped them out, wiped out that whole group. You can go up there to where they were killed and look at the, the crosses they have for every soldier these Sioux Indians killed. So I'm on the reservation speaking to the Sioux. Every time I've been there, and I'm usually there for a whole week in counseling Indians for their Indian spirit stuff and everything, uh, there's a blizzard. 
And this time, I, I said, every time you guys want a blizzard, just ask me to come back to speak, because, you know, since I've been here, it, there's always a blizzard. Well, when you have a blizzard, I mean, it's so bad. There's so much snow. Why'd they come to hear me? I don't know. They're pushing the cars out of the parking lot because there's no traction. So they have to push them to the highway. So they're pushing these people's cars out. I mean, I wouldn't walk in knee-deep snow to hear me, let alone have my car have me to push it on the highway so they can get some more traction to get out of there. Well, I didn't know about UEP meetings. There was a lot, I was learning a lot about the Sioux culture, learning about, about their demonic stuff and so on, as dealing with the people that were under a lot of demonic stuff. But I didn't know about UEP meetings, but UEP meetings is like a home prayer meeting for the medicine man. And he just, they put some sage on the floor, they wrap him up in a star quilt, they tie it, he begins chanting, and as he chants, the, the, the spirits will untie him, the room goes pitch black, blue lights float around the room, and that's, the spirits are here now. And the guys tell me, oh yeah, in a sweat lodge, when they do the sweating stuff, when the spirits are there, blue lights float around the room. But there's not a sweat lodge that's hooked into electricity. I mean, these blue lights are not connected to anything, except for them, their culture, the, the spirits are here. So anyway, he was having these meetings, which I didn't know, against me as I was teaching Indians how to be free of wicked spirits. So he was having these meetings. Someone said, the, you know, the medicine man's having you weeping meetings. And I'm going, you know, so maybe someone died, and they're all weeping. I, I don't know what these people, you know, I mean, I had no point of contact for that. Well, I go back to my motel. This is a, you, if you're going to see the, the president's faces, you drive right by where I was ministering. And uh, there's this motel on the reservation that is very old. The cement, the sidewalk, goes right along the windows. You know, the cars, the sidewalk, and the motel. The, the windows had these, you guys wouldn't know, but these are drapes that are spun glass that were given during the war that you can see through, but they didn't come together and they kind of hung down. Three inches of snow blew in under the door into my room, was there the whole week on the floor. I had to step over this mound of snow to get out. So if you wanted to change your clothes and be modest, you went into the bathroom. Because if you had any light on, anybody walking by could see in. You might as well not even have drapes on the window. So I had changed my clothes. I got in bed. I shot up a quick prayer because I was really tired because I've been counseling Indians, maybe it was midnight or so, and there's a blizzard outside. And I shut my eyes and I got a creepy feeling. Now, I usually don't get creepy feelings. My wife gets creepy feelings. Other people get, you know, when someone gets a creepy feeling, that means there's like 4,000 spirits there. And finally, I get, I, I just don't have that sensitivity. No matter where in the world I am, Africa, you know, wherever. I just don't sense it, but I see it in people. Immediately, I could see in someone's eyes if they're under the influence of spirits. But I don't have that sense, and it's fine with me. But I shut my eyes, and I got a creepy feeling. I opened my eyes, and the room was pitch black. I mean, you could have done this and not see your hand. I'm going, hmm. But this, there's a blizzard. Anybody ever been in a blizzard? Are blizzards black? Or when you look out, are they white? They're white. And immediately it's white. I'm going, oh, wait a minute. This is not of God. 
aren't you glad? I'm really <laughs> a little slow on the uptake, but this does not have gone. And I just said this. I said, in the name, of, and I never had prayed this before, but God gave me the prayer that I needed at that time. I just said this. Whatever's here, I command you through the blood and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ to go back to the one who sent it. The room filled with light. Not because lights came on, but, you know, the outside light came in. I went back to sleep. People said, you want to sleep? I said, yeah, why not go to sleep? They were gone. <laughs> and I'm tired, you know. God, does God have more power than the enemy? Oh, you can say it. Have you experienced it? You see, when you experience biblical truth, it gets rid of fears. The first time I ever saw a demoniac was in Jerusalem. And it scared me to death. This guy, and we kept trying to get away from him. I didn't know what he was. If he was crazy or he had demons or something. But this guy, I didn't want to be around. And there were uh, my wife and I and another couple. And we're going, we go down. You ever been in Israel in those small little narrow alleys? Every alley went down. He's coming towards us. <gasps> we got to go. I mean, then I realized he was demonic. He went to, they had a little brazier where they're cooking meat. He picked up the hot coals to warm his hands. You know, when a guy holds hot charcoals, red hot charcoals in his hand, you can know he's more than crazy. You know, there's something else going on here. Well, I mean, that guy scared me to death. And if you told me I was ever going to deal with people like this, I'd say, you're nuts. I am a Bible fundamentalist. I am conservative, and we don't even believe in this stuff, let alone I'm not going to give my life to this craziness. But anyway, guess what happened next day? Back in the motel, we got a telephone call from the medicine man. And he asked if he could meet with us so we could explain the power of God. Because he knew there was a greater power that sent the demons back that he sent into my room. And he wanted to know something in that power. I called back and had the church praying. And we met with this man and, and answered and talked to him about the Lord Jesus Christ for about two hours. Guys, it's true. Greater is what? He that is in you than he that is in the world. Because the one in the world was created by God. And the God who created everything lives inside of me. Why do I have to fear these things? I don't. Don't go around looking for them. But if they find you, you know, stand against them. Okay, I, I, I wanted you to know that. I think as I've watched a lot of ATI, it's not just ATI, but a lot of ATI kids, they've got tremendous amount of information, but they've never experienced the truth of that information. Do you understand? See, when that truth becomes a part of who you are, you've made it. You've made it in that area. When I finally really realized all the stuff Bill was talking about, self-image, you know, if I'd have talked to you 20 years ago, I'd be so scared that one of you wouldn't like me. And that would sink my ship. You had to like me. So I had to think about, would this be a, would they not like me if I said this? Or do I have to be clever? You know, Johnny Erickson, Bill pulled a dirty trick on me. At Knoxville, he said, Jim, I want you to go over and speak to the teens. And he said, would you do that? I wasn't down for it. And I said, well, sure, when? He said, in about five minutes. I go, oh, great, what am I going to say? You know, i got three hours with the teens. What am I going to talk about? 
I walk over there, and guess who is speaking ahead of me? Johnny Erickson Tata. I wanted to push her off the platform. I mean, how could I follow this lady? I mean, come on. You ever heard her speak, kids? She's phenomenal. She's just she's awesome. I, I said, if I juggled fire and, you know, handled rattlesnakes to show I had power, you know, there's no way that I could even come up to Johnny Erickson Tata. Here she can hardly move. And when she got through speaking, the kids just, they thundered her with applause. I thought, oh, I'd like to just, maybe I could push her off and keep going. <laughs> but thank God, I, my self-image was intact. You know, otherwise I'd have died. You know, what can I do? Magic tricks, saw my wife in half. You know, what do I do? <laughs> Follow Johnny, who's such a godly, godly person. Okay, but... See, I, I want more than anything that the truth you know would be internalized. That it would become a part of who you are. You'll be dynamic. No one can talk you out of stuff. I mean, you know. I, I like what someone said. I know that I know. How do you know? I don't know but I know that I know. Okay, if you want to look at Psalm, Exodus 30, what time am I supposed to be through, Bill? I haven't got started yet. <laughs> what time is it over here? Robert, he left. Yeah, I haven't started with my message. <laughs> this is a preliminary warm-up. <laughs> I just want to know that I stop on time. Oh, good. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I've been out to lunch for a long time. <laughs> Amen. Why don't we pray right now? Father, we, we are thankful for your wisdom, for your guidance. And Lord, for your word, and I pray, Father, as Bill meets with this pastor, that I know there's a fear thing here. I pray that this pastor be open to the truth that Bill shares. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would bring up just the right truth for this situation, and that the pastor would have bold, be bold enough to walk in that truth, that you would be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Exodus 34. This is a call of God to Moses for prayer. It's a good thing to study. There's two really good calls on prayer in Scripture, and this is one of them. And the thing is, prayer is spending time with God. So God gave Moses a specific invitation to spend time with him. And he said, Moses, in spending time with me, get the tablets ready because I got a message. So when I meet with God, I, I don't necessarily need tablets, but it may not hurt to have paper. You know, speak, Lord. I want to put down what you say. I, I want to keep track of what you say. And then he said, Moses, be ready in the morning. Um, for most people, morning is the best time. 
And if you're not a morning person, I would pray that God would make you a morning person. Because I was not a morning person. I was a night person. You know, I'd be up really, really late at night, and I would sleep in. And I said, God, you got to help me. So now I'm able to get up, wake up usually 3.30 or 3.15 to start the morning and go to work and so on. But I know when you've been a night person much of your life, and all of a sudden I kept looking, Jesus in the morning, you know, morning, morning, morning. All over Scripture, people are meeting God in the morning. And um, if you're trying to meet God in the afternoon, you're not meeting in the morning, maybe he's not going to show up. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, but see, Moses didn't sleep in. He didn't say, ah, you know, oh, you know, the, the, what we have today, that movie, I'm ready. <laughs> Remember through your speakers? Did you, were you guys awake enough to hear it? I'm not much of a whistler. You know, that thing. Oh, they just blast you right out of bed. Although they're starting with nice ones now. You should have been here years ago. They would start with, you know, a trumpet blast. And you thought it was a rapture. And you'd, <laughs> should I hold on to the bed or what? <laughs> I really want to make God in my pajamas and not my new ones. <laughs> so he said, be, am I just listening from that chapter? Come up to meet God. I'll tell you guys, when you meet God, it's always an up experience. But come up and meet God. Present yourself to me on top of the mountain. I've been mentoring an alert guy for years and years and years. And we just have become very, very good friends. He just climbed Mount Whitney. Mount Whitney in Alaska is the tallest mountain in the world to climb. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Because Mount Whitney starts at what? Sea level. For all the thousands of feet. The other mountain, what's the other one everyone climbs? Yeah, but it starts like at five, six, ten thousand 10,000 feet or something. When you start climbing the mountain, you're already that high. But Whitney is the, the largest climb. Anyway, you read it. I didn't know that. He told me that. And going up, uh, they stopped. Some guy next to him, his sled started going. He reached for it, and it pulled him off, and he was killed. Six people died climbing the mountain. In the three weeks, he and these other three guys were climbing up. Six people died climbing Mount Whitney. And uh, when they got to the top, very, very cold, and the wind blowing, and you know, below zero, all this other stuff, any part of your body that was not covered would instantly get frostbit or freeze. I mean, because a lot of guys didn't know they had a little piece or something, and they got frostbit or part of their face got frozen. Not of his group, but some of the people that were there. But, he, but can you imagine being on top of that mountain and looking? I made it to the top. Three weeks to get up that mountain in all the, it was not, it was not a picnic. You know, many times they said, in fact, they said this. They said, you know, I wonder if hell has fire. I wonder if it has snow, ice, and blizzards. <laughs> <laughs> They were telling me how difficult it was. Okay. And he said, no one is to come with you to the top of the mountain. 
There's times when you are to meet with God collectively or with a friend, but I'm telling you, you need to spend alone time with God. Every single one of you. If you do, you will be dynamic young people. Well, when you get your direction straight from God himself, it just, it'll change your life. And so we have Moses' response. He rose early. He went up as God commanded him. Moses was obedient to the call of God. When Moses saw Moses' uh, desire to hear from God, I mean, to get up early and all that he did, Moses was what? He really wanted God to talk to him. He really wanted to do it. When God saw that, God descended and spoke with him. And the Lord revealed to Moses aspects of his character, if you read in your Bible, that Moses would have never known if he hadn't spent that time alone with God. The Lord proclaimed himself as Jehovah, the eternal God, the great I am. He said, Moses, I want you to know I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and I'm faithful. Moses responded to God speaking by bowing his head in worship. When God speaks to you, that's all you can do. It's, oh, wow. This is so important. Some of the most important times I've ever had in worship is by myself, alone with God. And in fact, there's things we won't be sharing here that we share in prayer retreats and prayer seminars and things like that. But see, there are things sometimes that God will share with you. In fact, we're told that when God shares secrets with you, sometimes those secrets are not to be shared with anybody. And that's in the Psalms. I think it's Psalms 24. So the first question I have for you, when was the last time you were alone with God? And I'm not doing it to put guilt on you. I'm saying you're missing something. You're really missing something. You know? But let me tell you what the children of Israel did. When God was going to speak, you know, children of Israel said, Moses, you go up there, you talk to God, we don't want God to talk to us, and you come down and tell us what God says. You know what they were satisfied with? A second-hand encounter with God. They didn't want a personal encounter with God. Gothard, you have an encounter with God and tells us what God says. You understand that? I'll go to church. And my, let my pastor tell me what God says. Now, I would like to know what God told you this morning. Well, what's God's special message to you today? See, I don't want a secondhand encounter with God. I want to have a direct encounter with God. Okay. And I'm going to meet with him so he can give me a message. If he's got nothing to tell me, thank God. It was still wonderful. I was with God. Other times he'll give me things that I don't know what's going to happen in our counselees that are coming that are under the influence of demons. I don't know what's going to happen. Okay. 
Now, in Matthew 6, we've got to look there. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, we have God calling again. He called Moses to meet with him alone. And in Matthew 6, we have Jesus talking and giving us a call. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, But when thou prayest, enter the closet. God is calling us to the secret place. Secondly, what does he say? Shut the door to your secret place. Just shut the door. And you know that when you go in the secret place, you know you're going to find there? The Lord. He's already in the secret place, and he's been waiting for you. How long has he been waiting? Where he could talk to you? Share his heart with you? Share truth with you? Encourage you? I don't know what it is, <clears throat> what he's going to say. Excuse me. <clears throat> I don't know what he's going to say. But remember Samuel, when he went in alone with God, what did he say? He was just a kid. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. I'm here. What do you want to tell me? It was interesting. I asked a girl this morning if she heard the wake-up call. I said, oh, no. She said, I wasn't in my room. I was in the stairwell getting alone with God. Pretty good, right? She's out there in the stairwell to get alone. Isabel Kuhn, good old Isabel, went to Moody. And she felt she needed to get alone with God. She'd already been a school teacher, you know, had her degree, but she went to Moody because she was going to go out under Hudson Taylor's mission to China. And she kept looking for a place where there wasn't people. Now, I have not stayed in the girls' dorm, but I've stayed in the boys' dorm at Moody. I've spoken at Moody numerous times and have stayed on campus numerous times. And my wife and I went to study how to deal with demonized people at Moody under C. Fred Dickinson, the head theologian there. Uh, we went one summer, my wife and I did. So the only place that she could find in the girls' dorm at Moody Bible Institute where no one would be was the broom closet. You'll read that in that book. And she took a bucket, turned it upside down, took the mops out, sat on the bucket, shut the door, and read her Bible in that closet, the cleaning closet. Listen, if you want to meet with God, you want to meet with him alone, you will find a way because God wants you to find a way because God wants to meet with you more than most of us want to meet with him. And when I finally started praying, and then I went from just praying to going to the secret place, God said to me, where you been? I've been waiting 40 years for you. You know, what took you so long? I'll tell you the same thing. But why wait 40 years, guys? You know, why do you have to lose your hair and half your teeth before you meet with God? I did have full head of hair at one time. Um, I got a picture to prove it. <laughs> okay, now, when I enter in, remember he said, find the place. But this was hard. The hardest thing for me to do, I almost gave up. I thought, maybe I'm not one. 
My mind goes all the time. Are you guys like that? Your mind just goes all the time. My mind's going all the time. So the first thing I need to do is shut the door. Why am I shutting the door? To shut out distractions. You, God is not going to holler at you. Be still and know that I am what? God. So I need to take care of what? All of the distractions. A friend of mine wanted to start getting along with God, so he went in the family room and they had fish. He's getting really quiet before the Lord and it was gloop, 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 gloop. You know, the bubbles going up for the fish. Gloop, gloop, gloop. So he didn't know if they should eat the fish or what. You know what I mean? I, I can't. This is driving me nuts. Okay, well, maybe that's not the place for him. But I said, Lord, you got to help me. I'm all quiet. I've got everything quiet. I'm here all of myself, and my mind is going every which way you could think of. And I tried quieting my mind. I said, Lord, you got to, well, I'll tell you, eventually. I mean, it just wasn't happening. So well, maybe it can't be for me. You know, God put me together, and my mind goes so many ways. So praying, it isn't so bad. See, praying, something's happening, but all of a sudden, it's dead silence. Just be in a church where there's dead silence. <coughs> and hymnals, and, I mean, they, people can't stand it. They just can't stand quietness. You, you ever been where you'd be quiet? They, Rustle papers and drop hymnals and, you know, shut up, kid. Wait till I get home. <laughs> Kids, the hope service is long. <laughs> you know, dad's going to get me. Um, <clears throat> I'll give you some ideas. And I'm telling you, it is not easy. Satan does not want you to hear God speaking to you directly. And hear his voice. I have tons of material on how to recognize the voice of God, how to hear the voice of God, and how do I know it's God speaking and so on. We can't give it to you now, but we have all this stuff. You know, when we did these retreats for your dad in the Northwoods, we gave him a 670-page notebook on prayer. And the different aspects of praying. Okay. The first thing you may want to do is to read Scripture. At least focus my mind. See, I'm getting along, I've shut the door, I want to meet God, I want, I want to be still before the Lord. Maybe I've already run through my to-do list for God and all that kind of stuff. But now I want to read a portion of Scripture, something that would help. Another thing to begin to focus more is maybe meditate on a familiar Scripture or on a prayer promise. You know, something that is important, where my focus is where it should be. And then I prayed, and I said, God, I kept trying and trying, and I kept thinking, maybe, maybe it isn't, isn't for me. You know, maybe I just couldn't be one of these guys that I read about. Um, and these books on prayer that I've read, I mean, maybe it just isn't for me. And I said, God, could you quiet my soul? Please quiet my soul. Lord, I want to hear you. Yes, I read your word. Yes, I love scripture. I love spending hours in the word. But I wanted God to speak directly to my heart and to share truth in my heart. And often God has shared stuff, like today, before it happened. I didn't know Bill was going to talk about biographies. And yet God told me to tell you that story about that guy. He brought it up. I read it years ago. I forgot all about that guy from Australia. I mean, it's amazing. The stuff I'm telling you I haven't talked about, thought about for years. 
There's more stuff that God told me to tell you. See? And then, after you're quiet before the Lord, I like to end with that. But some people pray first. I'm not saying how you schedule your prayer thing, but you could schedule that. Now, before we get into why pray, I would like to share why you want to draw close to God. And of all of the things that are popping in my mind, um, one of the things was Ghana, Africa. And uh, I went to Ghana, Africa, and um, I was speaking to Christian leaders from 10 Western African countries on spiritual warfare. It was fabulous. All these godly Christian men over big ministries all over these 10 countries in Africa met in Ghana. And I had a wonderful time working with them. But the problem is some of these men are from French-speaking countries, and I don't. You know, I struggle with English, but French, not at all. And so I count, in fact, there wasn't one Christian leader who didn't have demonic issues, either in their family or in their personal life or in their marriage or something. And so um, I met with each one. While others were speaking, I was down underneath, and I counseled these men from early morning to past midnight every single day. And I needed a French person. And so a gal I know by the name of Rebecca, I won't give you her last name, Rebecca and Joy were missionary partners working in uh, Gabon, which is French-speaking. And she came to be my interpreter. And so they would tell their, it's, you know, you can speak English, but when you have pain and hurts, you like your heart language, which is not English. So they would speak their French to her, and these guys would be weeping. I didn't know what in the world she was telling but I'd like to tell you two stories about Rebecca. I've known Rebecca for years. She's now in Fiji Islands. She's married now, and she's in Fiji. But Rebecca said, Jim, I want to tell you, because I was the vice president of the mission she was with, and she said, Jim, I want to tell you, uh, this is so unique. She said, you know, I was in this one part of, of Gabon for four years working in this church. And then Joy and I got the women's ministry going and children's ministry, so now we're in another part of Gabon working. And she said, just before I came here, these, both these things I'm going to tell you happened just before she came. She got a letter from a deaconess in that first church, and that deaconess hated these two girls. And in Africa, the way that if you want to really... Um, honor somebody is to bring them a meal, a cooked meal. And she would periodically bring these girls cooked meal that she had put poison in. The girls didn't get sick, they didn't die, she upped the poison. She could not kill these two missionaries by poisoning them to death. In Africa, let me tell you, if they want to poison you, they know exactly what to do and how much to give and all that other stuff. It's a major way of killing people. She did not die. She says, Jim, I can't believe this. We didn't know that this woman was trying to kill us, and this woman became a believer because she saw God's protection on these girls. Can God protect you? 
You can say it. Can you tell me a time that God protected you? You know what I mean? That's what we need. We need stories. People say, yeah, you rattle off all this scripture stuff. But where is it? What have you experienced? People are more want to see Christianity that works than Christian, you know, philosophy and all this other stuff. Okay. What happened just the week before she came to see me? She said, Jim, I got to tell you this. She said, uh, at our church, and I was there just right after Easter, at our church in Africa, that particular pastor will only take members at Christmas and Easter. And they meet with people before Christmas that want to join the church and put them through a lot of questioning and all that stuff. There was a lady came that they didn't know. They put her through the questioning. And the elders said, we vote on her being a member. And he said, I don't feel right about her. They said, well, tell us why. He said, I don't know why. But I don't feel good about this lady, and I don't want to take her as a member. And they said, well, since you're the pastor, okay. So he vetoed her. But guess who shows up at Easter time for the Easter thing? Because see, when you become a member, you take communion and are baptized. And so this woman came again, and she answered all the questions right. She knew all the lingo and gave all the questions right. So she was baptized. They had this big church service. She took communion, got sick. Joy and Rebecca took her to the pastor's house, which is right next to the church. She fell down on the floor, the kitchen's floor, and the pastor walked in and said, tell me who you are, tell me why this is happening. And she started to talk, and she died. God killed her. So here they have a body of a woman from somewhere, no one knew who she was, but they knew she was up in the mountains. And so they came from the mountains to get her body, and they said, do you know who she is? And they said, no. She's the most powerful sorceress in our village. And she said, I will taste the Christian's power. And God struck her dead. Rebecca said, oh, wow. That's a good story to tell before we take communion in church. <laughs> you know, is your heart right with God? You know, are you one of us? You know, that's what it says. The scripture tells us to do that. You know, that, that, there's so many wonderful things that happen in Gabon. I'll give you one more. And this is craziness. I mean, if you can be used of God, God will have people find you to help them. The assistant ambassador from Togo to Ghana found me. I've never been to Togo. You know, I don't know anything about Togo. I don't know anything about this country. And I thought, how did they find me? You know, this is, I mean, I, it's like finding me in New York City, although the city we're in, but it's the largest city in Ghana. It's huge. How did she know I was there? Didn't have a radio broadcast, wasn't TV. How did this woman know I was there? And so she, she asked me to come, and she asked me to pray and dedicate her family to Christ. I said, I'd love to do that, but that was just to get me in the house. So I went to the, the house where the assistant ambassador lived, and she said, pray over my family, and it looked like the Duggars, except the Duggars, and who's the other group? 
the other one, you know, the beat the piano here, what's their name? The, had to, got together. I mean, this, they were, she had to have litters. I mean, there's all these kids all over the floor, and I'd go, I can't believe this lady has had all these kids. She said, oh, it's all our servants, and I had all the people that work for us at the embassy and everything. It's all their kids, so they wanted me to bless this whole mass of children, which I did. And she said, you know, I hope you won't mind. They're, they're really, they're not in your face. I mean, it's amazing. In, in so many countries, people are very gracious and very kind, and you have to kind of wait to find out is there anything else you want me to do? She said, yes. She says, we, we are getting a new home, and we want you to go and dedicate that home to the Lord and also cleanse the home of demonic spirits. I said, okay. So we drove to the home, and this had been an, an ambassador's home from another country, which their country had bought this home. Well, we walked into the living room, was probably as big as from that wall to where that wall drops down and this wide. That's what the living room. Because it would be where you would entertain with all kinds of people. You know what I mean? It was a, this would be where you'd entertain all ambassadors, all important people. It was huge. Hello! Hello! Ah, I love this house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so <clears throat> this was a huge room. Well, when you went out of this room, they had, uh, there was like two buildings put together. They're hooked together with a roof, but on both ends, they had these blocks that had the design in them. You know, the cement blocks you can't see through, but the cement blocks, sometimes they put in patios, they have a design so the wind blows through. And they had those at both ends. And this thing was almost as big as this room, but it was like outdoors, but with, you know, for rain and everything. And they would have outdoor parties and things there, even though it was part of the house. There was a cement staircase that went up, so I prayed for that. They had locked the door to the kitchen area and where the servants would sleep and all that. So I put my hand on that door and I prayed that God would cleanse. Now I'm praying in English. The, the guy who was taking me around with the ambassador was uh, an African fellow who was with World Vision. And uh, so we went upstairs, walked across a little balcony, that's this big open area, walked across the balcony, and this is where the office would be and where their private rooms would be. That door was locked because the painters locked it and they forgot to bring the keys. They felt really bad about it. I said, well, I'll just put my hand on the door. I put my hand on the door and I prayed, and this fellow's in praying the prayer to them in French. I'm saying in English, the, the World Vision guy's saying in French. We walk over, and the next wing, and this is where the children are going to sleep, this is where guests are going to be, all of that, and this whole great big wing, the door was locked. So I put my hand on the door, and I begin to pray. Now, I'm not... I don't think raising your voice gets results. Name of Jesus! You know, everybody leaves the demons are all sitting around. You know, you know, I'm not that kind of a person. Because wait, God has power, not the voice. You understand? The power is Him, not the voice. So I'm praying. Now I'll tell you what happened, but I didn't want them to be worried about what was happening, because something was happening that had never has happened to me before when I'm praying over this house. But this guy who's 
interpreting in French, he got the ghost. I mean, this guy was really. You know what I'm going. You know, I mean, he was really getting into this prayer stuff. And I'm just praying calmly and everything. When I got through praying, this guy said, something was pushing your hand off the door. I said, yes. I said, there was a force that was trying to not only push my hand off the door, but push me over the balcony, down on that cement floor. And he said, I know. He sensed them. I felt them. I never said a word. I didn't get all freaky or anything. But this guy sensed the spirit, and he was praying in French against it. These people were crying because they felt so bad that these spirits were so powerful that they didn't even want me to lay my hand on a door where they went. And he said this, and I know some of you here are probably of this ethnic group. It's not a put-down. It's the truth. He said they were Chinese spirits. I said, how do you know? He said, I know. See, in his mind, he saw these Chinese spirits who were trying to push me off. And I thought, well, what Chinese spirits be doing in Africa in this house? So they checked it out and came and told me, and guess who, what that house was before? The Chinese embassy. Where they, you know, did their stuff. Um, I'll tell you, it's been wonderful walking with the Lord, guys. Country after country after country, place after place after place. It is so thrilling. I'll give you, oh yeah, I get, I'll give you two real quick ones. I could give you a lot. See, often you're tested. Do you really believe what God says? Do you really believe that? We always pray God's protection. You want to hear some wild stories? Talk to Paul, who is often my prayer partner and also prays in our office with nice Christian families. He could tell you some stories. See, it used to make my hair rise up, but then it got you know, brittle and all fell out. Um, <clears throat> but I, it, it doesn't frighten me anymore. Voices coming out of someone does not frighten me. Why do I know? Because the guy who's in me is greater than whatever's talking to me. And the enemy wants me to what? Be afraid. Jesus wasn't afraid. I mean, when he was afraid, he went, what about the gathering? You know, breaking chains and Ken keeps his clothes on and everybody's scared to death. He has all this horrendous power. Jesus said, hi, you know, hey, I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> Come on, read the scriptures. Believe the scriptures. I'll just give you two. I was dealing with a youth pastor. In fact, Bill met this youth pastor in Washington, D.C. when the demon spoke out of him and said, what church I went to in Sioux City. I don't know if you know how close Washington, D.C. is to Sioux City in the middle of the United States, but it's at least 1,000 miles. And he says, Jim Logan, you go to this church. And I know two men in that church that are fighting, which was true. And we're going to destroy that church through these two men, named them. And then we're going to take down your office. This is all coming out of the youth pastor. Take down your office. And you're not going to have an office. You know what I told him? I said, fine. 
I'll fight you out of my garage. You know, it's not, I know, you know, take the building. It's not much of an office anyway. You can have it. You know, <clears throat> I'm not going to be intimidated by these things because they are defeated. And I don't care how powerful their voices are. I don't care how threatening they want to be. They're all defeated. We have little kids standing against the enemy. Five, six-year-old kids just refuse to be tormented by this stuff that's going on in their house. Okay. Well, this youth pastor... We didn't, go any, we didn't get anywhere with him. Bill was with me. We didn't have enough time. So he's going to meet his pastor the next day. The pastor does not believe in wicked spirits. This guy is out of it now. He's not under the enemy's influence, but he's still in trouble. And he said, pray for me. I don't want to meet with a pastor. He doesn't believe in this stuff, and I don't know what's going to happen. Well, he met with a pa- We went on to New Jersey to speak, Bill and I did. And so he met with a pastor. We found out later on the pastor started fooling with him, the, the demons knew that the pastor didn't believe in this. This kid jumped up onto the pastor and knocked him in his chair on the floor. And the church people had to come and pull the youth pastor, who works for the pastor, off the pastor. And the pastor says, he has a lot of repressed anger. I'm sorry, look at his eyes. Spooky. <laughs> you know, anger may be awful, but it's not spooky. Anyway, this youth pastor came to stay. And what's interesting, the home he stayed in was the name of one of the men that the demons were going to use to tear that church down. Isn't that unique? And I never told that family that, you know, it's this guy the demons spoke out of and talked about what he was going to do. So anyway, he's sitting there and he would go in and out of demonic stuff. He'd be there with me and then nobody's home. Hello? Well, anyway, all of a sudden, he was getting pretty bad. He says, I'm going to leave here. And I'm going, you're not leaving here like this. Who's driving the car? You or a, a demon-possessed guy driving the car, and you're not going to run over people in the parking lot. You know, when you come out of my office, we could get sued or something for this. So <clears throat> I sat close to this guy with an open Bible in my lap, because we always counsel from a Bible. And faster than anything, he said, I'm going to rip your throat out. But when he said that, his hand went right up to my throat. I'm going to rip your throat out. Now, I'm a jumper. So don't try me in the hallways. (laughs) But I'm not going to go (laughs) with a demon. I refuse. And God helps me never to go. When they do something you don't expect, you're having a nice, quiet Bible time. And some guy's going to rip your throat out. And he was young. And his hand came right up like this, and he could not close his fingers on my throat. That's the word God saying. I am in Christ. The wicked and what? Touches me not. He couldn't close his fingers on my throat. So he jumped up, and he said, I'm going to go. I'm leaving. I said, no, you're not. In the name of Jesus, you sit on that couch. I have to go to the bathroom. You can't get off that couch until I come back. And he says, like this. I'm sitting down because I want to. And so I left, went to the bathroom, and he was still on the couch. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm just telling you, I'm not going to wet my pants because some demon's scaring me. You know what I'm saying? You got to go, you got to go. And I want to give you one more. I could tell you so many stories of people that have tried to kill me in counseling. Are you afraid? No. I mean, I'm 78 years of age. I got knee problems. I had a stroke. Sometimes I use a cane. 
And I get these young whippersnippers like some of you guys. So you got more muscles and brains, you know. <laughs> you know, come on. You know, I, I can't wrestle you guys. You, you wipe me out with your little finger. But God's on my side. See what I'm trying to tell you? I'm an old man. I've been threatened by demons to kill me right there. And I know who I am in Christ. And I'm not afraid. And remember, I was the guy that was fearful that you would reject me. But being rejected by demons isn't so bad. I'll tell you that. It's not bad. <clears throat> if you're accepted by demons, you, you need to come and see us. Okay. <clears throat> but I'm sitting there. Here's another missionary. I can tell you a bunch of missionary stories because I travel all over the world speaking and working with missionaries. And I was sitting with this missionary with a Bible on my lap. This missionary has come to the prayer conferences almost every single one in the Northwoods. But this is way back years ago. And this guy is wonderful. But he has some really bad baggage. And he's sitting there, and after he came to freedom, it was late at night, he looked at me and he said, Jim, I was going to leap on you and attack you. And I said, why didn't you? He said, there was an angel with a sword standing between us. I had another guy tell me the same thing. I never saw them. I have many friends where they have the angels around them. People saw they were going to attack them, but they couldn't get through the hedge. Kids, this stuff is real. It really is real. It's not just a bunch of theories and a bunch of whatever. It's wonderful. You guys are on the winning team. You know that if you join the team. You're winners. You're not losers. I'm not saying you have to go around and be the demon caster you know, of the neighborhood or whatever. But I'm just saying if you don't need to be afraid of the enemy. He knows he's defeated. He knows where he's going. He knows what the end is. He just doesn't want you to know that. I could give you more stories of God's protection. And it's wonderful. I have never. Oh, i got to tell you one. It was Gothard. I could have wrung Gothard's neck. I was really tired. I was wore out. We're going to go traveling somewhere together. I can't remember when. It was a number of years ago. I show up at his office. What I want to do is find a place to crash and go to sleep. And Gothard said, I've got a guy I want you to see. Well, I know it wasn't just, oh, look at the student. He's really handsome. I don't think that's what he meant. And I'm going, yes, I'm supposed to serve with a smile. And uh, I, so the last thing I want to do is to be involved with some demonic character. And I'd had a real bad week before. Not every one of our weeks is happily ever after. You know what I mean? Sometimes people don't want to get free. They don't want to deal with issues, all that kind of stuff. So it was just, I was just not really fit for human consumption. I just didn't feel... So Bill sends me down. You ever been there? You know the place where the print shop, the other building? It wasn't Bill's building, but the other building down the hill. I go down the hill, and they've got me in a room that I think before was the coat closet when you first come in, and they have a table and chair, and when you put your chairs out, they're against the wall. I mean, if you're in there, back in there, you can't get out unless you climb over the table. There's no way you can get around these chairs when they pull them out. So I come in. I was just out of it. I mean, really emotionally drained, physically tired, not in the best shape to deal with demons, especially if they're real active. 
This guy was sitting here at the table. I was at the end of the table. At least it was by the door, so if it got really bad, I could run out and say, go get Bill. Serge, <laughs> 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 you're right. I sick him back on you. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and the demons began to speak out of this guy. I said, let's pray. I need some prayer, and I'm praying, and I'm praying for wisdom. And I stop, and this guy starts, demons start speaking out of him in some language. I don't know what it was. <laughs> it made me mad. I said, if you're going to talk to me, speak in English. They switched. <laughs> you know, I don't know. All this stuff. I don't have an interpreter. You know, they can speak any language. They don't have a language problem. And he spoke in English. And for a second there, fear came over me. You know, and he just was, this has never happened before. You know, trying to kill me, that's one thing. But speaking to me in languages I don't know, that's another thing. You know, it was just a different situation. I was really vulnerable. And I started to fear. And I don't know who the guy was, but... His eyes were awful. I mean, if you've ever been a horribly demonized person, if you took a picture, they could put it in a movie and all the people would scream and go home. Put it at the end of one of these horror movies they have because it is really creepy to see this in someone's face. And it made me so mad when they did that that I reached over and I grabbed his hand because I felt so sorry for him. And perfect love cast out my fear. Do you see that? I was beginning to experience fear, and I was getting all wrapped up in who? Me, instead of focusing on this poor guy that the enemy had such control in his life, you know, that it could speak out whatever they wanted to out of his mouth. And I just reached out and grabbed him, and he came to freedom. And guys, the word of God is what? True. I hope you find it true in your personal life. Okay, why do we pray? Number one, God commands us to pray. God commands us to pray. God, who's already ordained the end, ordained the means to the end. And the means to the end is prayer. Psalms 2a, you could write, write that down. Ask of me and I will make, God said. Ask me, I will make. Luke 10, 9 and 10, I love this one where it is ask, seek, knock, receive, find, and open. And I'm just giving you a few prayer promises. Luke 18.1. We should pray always and not give up. I mean, that's just a little, I, I'm telling you, go through the Bible and look at prayer. You want to know, you want to get the best book on prayer? The Bible's not a bad one, let me tell you, to go through and mark what God said about prayer and the promises. See, God chooses to honor our obedience. Charles Spurgeon used to say, when I don't pray, coincidence don't happen. And when I pray, coincidence happen. He said, well, isn't that lucky you prayed? Because it happened. Yeah, I was really lucky. I mean, yeah. You know, the world doesn't hardly understand, but you understand. And this is a statement, and we can't go into it, but John Wesley made this statement. He believed it with all his heart. He said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. If you don't pray about it, it ain't happening. Basically, it's what Wesley said. And the guy, I quoted on this, but he says, but God does 
not promise to, um, um, to act unless we seek him first and he may want us involved in what he does. God already knows the end, doesn't he? Is God shocked about who's in this room and who isn't? No. He's got you here. God knows that. And God wants you to pray. Uh, a verse that you know, you know, where it says pray about everything. But let me give you another verse. You never think of it as a prayer promise. I'm, if you do, I'd be really surprised because I didn't. Proverbs 3, 6. All thy ways acknowledge him and he will what? Direct your paths or make your path straight. You know, that's, that's praying, acknowledging him. It's praying to him. In all your ways, pray to him. And you know, all your ways, you know what that means in the Greek? Or Hebrew, pardon me. It means all your ways. <laughs> Real profound. It means everything. God will direct your paths. See, prayer is for us, not God. Why is it for us? Because God promised to answer prayer, and as he answers our prayer, it makes us want to spend what? More time with him. In your prayer time, share rhemas with God. Bless people that have hurt you. And Bill asked me to throw this one in. Pray for the lost and pray for opportunities to witness. The church I was going to in Kansas City, or, I mean in Sioux City where we live, the pastor said, pray, pick out a house or pick out a person in your neighborhood and start praying for them. So right across my driveway, if I go out of my driveway in the wintertime with ice and everything, I back right up in the driveway right across the street, go down the hill. But you can't go up the hill in ice. So there's a, a young guy living there. I thought he might be a doctor. I didn't know a single guy living right across from my house. I started praying for him. And every time I pray, I said, Lord, how do I reach this guy? And he gets out of the car and he walks in, you know. And um, I could ring the doorbell. Hi, I'm the demon caster from across the street. Do you have any demons you need casted today? <laughs> I mean, what, what do you do to a stranger? I, I'm not real good at... at you know, grabbing a guy by the throat, you know, if you die today, would you burn in hell? And he says, let go of me, or you're going there. <laughs> you know. you know. So I kept praying and praying and praying, and I knew that God was going to give me an opening, but I had to look for it. You understand? I'm is it God's will that any should perish? Was this young doctor lived across the street from me, was he being any? And God didn't want him to perish. So I'm praying in the will of God. And so it, it took... A long time, I'm out. We have a, there in the city, we have sidewalks, and then we have grass in the street, and often there's trees. And I'm out there pulling some weeds out of the grass. And this doctor drives down the hill, so he has to back in his driveway. And I see him, I knew his name, and I said his name. I said, man, you look terrible. And um, he said, Jim, I'd really like to talk to you. Hey, this is it. You know, I've been praying, praying, praying. I could always just say, hi, you know, goodbye, you know. And uh, so he pulled the car in. I walked in, and he said, Jim, it's terrible. I said, what happened? He said, I was, I didn't know. He had been run over by a car when he was a kid, and his whole pelvis was crushed. And uh, as a doctor, he's having real problems of standing all the time. He's had all kinds of surgeries. But what he did, he has a dog he loves. 
And when he would come home, living alone, the dog would come and wag his tail. <laughs> really excited. He loved this dog. And he's, uh, he could, uh, in line, online, whatever it's the skates, whatever you call those things. But anyway, he's doing that down at the, our river. They have a beautiful place where you can skate up and down the huge Missouri River there. They spent millions of dollars. And the dog is running and he has a seizure. So the dog is having seizures. He takes the dog to veterinary clinic after veterinary clinic all night long. He took this dog to veterinary clinics. And I said, oh, I feel really bad. I said, I'd like to quote a scripture for you. I'm putting myself on a limb. I mean, way out on a limb. I said, when I was in Guatemala working with Wycliffe Bible translators, there's a verse in the Bible that says that God cares for you. And the word cares means object of concern or matter of his care. And I said, I shared that with the Wycliffe Bible translators and a guy had just translated this in the Mayan dialect. And this is how he translated this verse for the Mayan Indians where he was working way up in the mountains. What concerns you concerns God. And I said, I'm going to pray to God to heal your dog. He got tears. You really would do that? I said, yes. I'm going to pray that God is going to heal your dog. So he was driving down to the big Ames, Iowa, where the huge Iowa University is, and they have a huge uh, you know, veterinary school down there. He's taking his dog down there, and I'm talking to God, and I said, I didn't say, God, if you let this dog die, I'm out of here, but I, going, I won't be happy. <laughs> oh, God. I've never prayed that God would heal a dog before, but God, if you heal this dog, I know that's an opening of me sharing Christ with this guy. That is the door that you've opened for me to get into this guy's life. And he came back, and the dog was healed. And we became really good friends. And he, um, he was a Christian, but had kind of fallen away. He accepted Christ in the hospital at 13 when some pastor prayed with him when he, you know, when he ran, was run over by a car. And he said, Jim, I really feel bad. I wanted to go to one of your prayer things. I wanted to go to one of your demon meetings or whatever. He said, I wanted to go hear you. We've become such good friends, but I have to go to the university. I'm going to have to become a, an anesthetist because they sit down. They don't stand. I'm not going to be able to stand and do surgery or things like that because of my infirmities. And so it was really neat. I mean, I had such a close relationship with this guy because God healed his dog. Let me give you one more to let you know how much faith I had. We got a call from a guy in Sioux City and he said, my son's dying. Can we bring him in to see you? I really didn't want to see him. They wanted me to pray over him, anoint him with oil. His son's dying. He's four years old. I said, sure. I mean, how can you tell people no? So they bring him into our office and the boy was about four. The mom sat down on the couch. The boy's arm fell off the, the lap and just hung down. He had no strength to pull it up. The mother had to pull the arm and put it on his lap. He looked like he was, if he wasn't dead, I didn't know if he'd be alive when they left the office. I mean, I know I saw a kid so close to death. They told me that he had an operable brain cancer. They flew him out to San Francisco to the, the most powerful brain child specialist out there, and he 
you know, cut him here and took the, the cranium off and looked inside and he said it was like a blackberry bramble of the cancer was just all, there's no way they could do anything. If they took his brain out, he'd be dead and there's no way to get to the cancer. It was just, just a terrible mess. So they said, go home and let him die. You know, that's all we can do. Make it comfortable, let him die at home. Well, the mom said, God told me the boy's not going to die. God's going to heal him. And God's going to use me in our office. We're not a healing office. We deal with demons, lady. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm going, oh, no. You know. So I got the oil, and I anointed the kid, and we did, you know, the... Bill quoted it, remember in, in James 5, we did the James 5 thing, I, I wanted everything biblically. And the mom said, he's gonna be healed. After we anointed him, he looked worse. I mean, his face was just white. And I took the dad, who was a doctor, I didn't know what kind of a doctor he was, I took him out in the, uh, in the hallway and I said, what are you gonna do when the boy dies? How much faith did you hear there? Huh? Did you hear a lot of faith? Did you? You can get up and leave if you want to. <laughs> this guy got no faith. Well, I got faith over demons, but not over healing. That's not my, you know, thing. But I felt bad because I just want to maybe commit suicide. You know, God told me, my boy's going to live. The doctor says he's going to die. The top specialist in America said the kid's dying. I'm looking, can't you see, Mom? He's dying. You know, I don't know if he'd be alive when you get him home. You know, and I prayed over him, anointed him. He didn't jump up and run around and play marbles. Oh, I felt awful. I said, God, I feel awful. I, why? I just don't have faith. You know, I'm not going to fake it. Oh, I believe, I believe. No, I don't believe. I mean, yeah, can God heal? Yes, I believe God can heal. But do I know God's going to heal that boy? Uh-uh. Do you understand? It's one thing to know God heals. another thing to know he's going to heal this boy specifically, like the mom said. Anyway, I lost track of them. I kept looking for, you know, when they're going to have the funeral. At least I could show up, even though I didn't know this family. Well, I went to the, um, the there were 10 heart specialists in Sioux City, that were going through my book on the demonic, you know, reclaiming surrendered ground. They were going through that book. And they, I didn't know that. And they were meeting once a week in the heart cath lab, going over my book, discussing, because they thought it, it really made a lot of sense. Because they said, this makes some, it's balanced. You know, it's not all spooky book where you, you, you want to read it in the morning so you're not so scared that you can't go to sleep at night because you read the book. Uh, that kind. And uh, so I'm in there, and the doctors are introducing themselves. Well, I do this, I do this, I do this. And this guy said, do you remember me? I said, well, you know, you look familiar. But see, I don't remember you exactly. He said, oh, I'm the one that brought my son there, and I'm just bracing myself, you know, for the anointing and healing uh, and to give my condolences. And he said, uh, after he left your office, he got better and better, and better. We took him out to San Francisco. They opened his skull up, looked in. He said, you know that that cancer was only the size of a lemon? And we just lifted it out. He said, kid's running all over and everything. I can't thank you enough for praying for him. See, 
And I re-looked at scriptures. There's three reasons why God heals. He healed because of the faith of the person. Remember the guys that dropped the guys through the roof? Remember he was a paralytic? It wasn't the paralytic's faith, Jesus said. It was what? Their faith that brought him is why he was healed. And you see that in other scriptures there. It was the faith of the person that brought the sick person, not the sick person's faith that healed him. And then the third is Jesus just healed anyway, where there's no mention of faith at all. I always like to go through the Bible and look at everything, everything there is about certain things. Well, guys, I just want you to know that you're on the winning team, that you have no idea if you will surrender to the Lord the power of God that could be in your life, and not power to be used wrongly, but power to give glory to God. There are so many hurting people out there that are looking for answers, they're looking for reality. If someone came to you and said, does prayer work? You say, yep, yep. Would you tell me one real phenomenal answer to prayer you had? Um, now I lay me down to sleep. I didn't die before I wake. You know when they taught me that as a kid? I learned how to beat that one. Don't go to sleep. <laughs> Who wants to die before you wake? Little kid, three years old. <gasps> the death angel will come tonight. <laughs> I mean, isn't that an awful prayer when you think about it? Preparing kids to die if they die in their sleep? Oh, man. It's when they're all kids don't have horrible nightmares. <laughs> but, but see, can you prove that God is real? Can you prove by a life experience that God exists? How can you prove it? You believe the Bible, fine. But people want more than you believe the Bible. There are people out there that believe their books too. I mean, do you love the Lord enough to blow yourself up in a car in Iraq? Right? To wear an explosive death and just blow yourself up for your faith in Muhammad? Now, I'm not telling you to blow yourself, but you understand what I'm saying? I mean, these people don't have the truth. We've got the truth, and there's no power. That's what Bill was talking about, power. We need to see God's power. He releases his power through people. Father, I just pray. I pray that these young people will realize that they've got to develop a prayer life. They have to have a secret place where they go and meet with you and open their hearts up and talk to you. Allow you to talk to them. Allow you to give instructions to them about the day or whatever. Lord, that they would know that the Bible is not only true and inspired, but can be true in their own personal life and walk with God. Father, I love that song. I come to the garden alone, for the Lord walks with me, the Lord talks with me, and the Lord tells me I'm his own. How precious it is to have the Lord say, Logan, I love you. Logan, I got this for you. I, I want to share this with you. Father, I thank you, and I pray that these young people don't have to get old to realize what they miss for years without developing an intimate relationship with you. And I thank you, Lord, for each and every young person. They didn't wander in here by mistake, even if they had to be here. 
It was part of your ordained thing, and I pray what Bill said when I said, somehow would grab a hold of them, and they would want to be men and women, godly men and women, that could change the world where they live. And that you would thrust them out all over, and their lives would really make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.